Anyone who knows me in the real world, outside of the show, knows I am a huge fan of cats and dogs and basically any sort of pet. Growing up, I was always afraid of animals, so as an adult now whose fear of animals has dissipated, I find that I really enjoy their company. And one thing that has always intrigued me is what sort of language or thought processes do animals have? If we could somehow tap into animal language, would there be a way to communicate with them? Or are animals so different in their cognitive abilities that it is a ridiculous notion, and so my only real way of knowing if my cat likes the tiny vest I put her in are the scratch marks up and down my arms? Ludwig Wittgenstein said, If a lion could speak, we could not understand him. The basic idea here, and again, I am woefully low on my understanding and knowledge of Wittgenstein, so I hope a listener will be able to set me straight if I get this wrong, is not that if a lion could communicate as a human, we could understand them. For instance, if a lion said, I enjoy laying in the sun, we could very well understand what that sentence means. Rather, the argument here is that the lion and humans could not possibly understand each other because their modes of communication and way of looking at the world are so wildly different that there is no possible method to translate the two frames of reference. The lion and humans can't communicate because they relate to the world around them in such vastly different ways that communication at that point no longer makes sense. This hints at something that philosophers have been discussing for a long time, namely that language is not merely a matter of putting words into an order to make a sentence, but rather language and our biology, consciousness, and the world around us are intertwined in ways that make really getting to the bottom of where language comes from quite difficult to pin down. Further complicating the issue is that of how we actually obtain knowledge about the world in the first place, something that is seemingly required before language can effectively occur between two beings. At the very least, the recognition of a self, and some other self, seems to be necessary for language between the two. For now, let's just take it that the idea of language is much more complicated than you may have first thought. And a lot of extremely smart people have spent their entire careers trying to make sense of this very human activity. And yet, just a quick Google search brings up people on the internet who claim that for a quick couple hundred dollars, they can communicate psychically with my cat, or talk directly to the positive or negative spirits that inhabit my home, or people who have said that they talk to aliens using telepathy. One of my favorite TV moments of all time comes from a paranormal show where they're interviewing a guy about Bigfoot and his encounter with him, and the music becomes tense as he talks about the animal standing up in front of him in the woods at night, this eight-foot-tall behemoth in the evening mist, which opens his mouth to bare its teeth, gnashing wide, and says, Hello? Completely ruins the tension of the moment. My fiancé still calls me sometimes on the phone just to give me a quick, Hello? How are you? In Bigfoot voice. Does the idea that communication with animals, Bigfoot, demons, angels, or aliens is possible with humans make any sense at all? Would Bigfoot give a growl, or have his own language as others have claimed, or potentially be so far removed from humans that language occurs via some other methods? What about the case of aliens, who may not even have the same biochemistry as us? Why do we assume that they will talk the same way we do? maybe speaking a different language, but ultimately communicating in a way that is intelligible to a thing with our sort of biology. If Wittgenstein didn't think we had a chance with lions, who at least live on our plane of existence and planet, 
What chance do we have with energy beings, or light bringers, or demons, or demonic blobs? In this episode, I hope to delve into the mystery and weirdness surrounding communication with the paranormal, and try to understand just how communication with these sorts of things might work. Welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast! Tonight's episode, The Language of the Paranormal! The first real instance of communication with something outside of the normal realm of human experience was with those beings called gods, either good or bad. In the Bible, those who spoke to God are considered prophets, chosen people whose pious nature allowed the Almighty to converse with them, either directly or through his messengers. And yet, in the modern day, it isn't very hard to find a person who claims to have spoken directly to God. There's a very interesting article on this by Professor Tanya Marie Lerman from Stanford's Anthropology Department on this issue, which I will post on the Facebook page. Her research has found that quite a large portion of the evangelical populace has reported feeling, seeing, or hearing something in response to prayer. And Gallup polling from 1999 showed that about 23% of Americans had either heard a voice or had a vision in direct response to prayer. Now, I'm not trying to discount anyone's personal convictions here on faith, and if you want my take on the presence of a soul or whatever, you can head back to episodes 1 and 3 where I touch on the issue. However, let's just say that I don't think we can really know either way at this point, so I am firmly planted in the middle. Pascal's wager is probably a good one here. I don't know if there's a heaven or hell, but just to be safe, I will try to live my life as a good person. But it is interesting that God seems to be a lot more chatty nowadays than back in the beginnings of the church. It used to be that God spoke only to those who were truly divinely inspired, and those people who spoke to God became revered as saints. Even more interesting is the disagreement between particular faiths on the matter. As a Roman Catholic growing up, I was taught that God would not speak to you using language, but through the workings of nature around us. If you prayed for a sign from God, perhaps the sun would burst through the rain clouds, or you would hear a gathering of songbirds as you went outside that morning. But God wouldn't speak directly with language, and never physically or telepathically in the way of the saints and prophets. Perhaps this new outspokenness is due to the democratizing influence of the Reformation, where a church without the need for special training or study to attain a personal connection with God allows for more people to attempt to speak to him or her. However, it could also be that this is due to the more intense sorts of faith that these personal churches seem to inspire. Again, though, a skeptic would say that this is just simply due to more people asking. God seems to be a bit more outspoken nowadays than he once was, but how can we know if it's really God or the good talking to us? And not a devil or demon, or a really bored telepath for that matter. Famously, there have been cases where God seems to be talking, only to tell us to do absolutely horrific things. One famous instance of this is that of the Lafferty brothers, Dan and Ron, who in 1984 murdered their brother Alan's wife, Brenda, and Alan and Brenda's daughter, Erica. They murdered them because of a revelation from God, who told Ron that he required the removal of those who did not believe in the truth of the brothers' prophecies. From radical jihadis to the Lafferty brothers, 
These individuals become so wrapped up in their religious convictions and convinced of the rightness of their instructions that they may go on to murder or acts of terrorism. If God is really talking to people at a rate of 23% of the population, how can we be absolutely sure that it is a good force and not a bad force trying to trick us into making a horrific mistake? Interestingly, there are again a lot of websites that suggest they know exactly how to do this sort of thing. One website that I found lists three major qualities to the voice of evil, these being one, that it contradicts God's commandments, which is one that I probably would have figured out myself. Although I'm a little doubtful that a powerful negative being would be so easily outmaneuvered as to forget about that list of 10 things every person is supposed to not do. And at the same time, aren't there historical precedents for where God asks his followers to potentially or very nearly break his commandments? What about the binding of Isaac? The second case is that it creates anxiety rather than peace. But again, we can just look at the Lafferty Boys' horrific crime, or the case of radical jihadis, to see instances where the people who perpetrate these things continue to be completely at ease with the murders or terror that they commit. Because after discussing the issue with God and thinking it through, they have decided that it was truly divine instruction. And the third clear giveaway for the voice of the devil is that it is accusatory or negative in its tone, which is, that one's fine, that one's very clear cut, but out of those three, we have managed to find some wiggle room in the first and second, which dare I say are the most important two. So how are we ever supposed to know? Well, I suppose like Soren Kierkegaard, this is one of those instances where if you think you have divine instruction, you need to make a leap of faith. However, I would caution anyone who thinks that the divine is giving them instruction to do something horrific or against those Ten Commandments to speak to someone first, talk to a priest or a trusted friend. If ghosts or demons can talk to us, then how is it that they are communicating? One of the most common science-ish explanations I hear often, and one that I think again gets very close to using a scientific-like explanation to explain a magical event or property, is that of alternate dimensions or planes of existence. The argument goes that potentially these non-physical entities simply exist on another plane, or in another dimension, one that wraps around our world in a way that allows for communication or transfer through zones where the space between worlds is significantly thinner than in other places. The scientific explanation would be that this would be something like a wormhole, a space in the fabric of our universe where two disconnected points in 3D space are interconnected by their placement next to each other in a higher dimension. This sort of freaks people out, so let's try to dissect it quite simply. One of my favorite explanations for the idea of higher or lower dimensionality is that of the flatland, or two-dimensional world versus our three-dimensional world. Imagine if you were able to see the 2D world from your 3D vantage point as a piece of paper. You have access to height, something that the 2D inhabitants sitting along the paper's surface don't have. So while they are stuck moving about only in the length and width dimension, 
we can also move out of their plane of existence to a space above the flatland that they cannot comprehend. We can also notice the shape of the flatland itself, something that might not be apparent to the people existing in the 2D space. In this way, we could fold up the paper in such a way to make two points that maybe are not next to each other on the piece of paper's two-dimensional surface next to each other in 3D space. For instance, if we took the ends of the paper and put dots on them, to the flatlander this would appear to be two points as far away as they could possibly be in this 2D universe of the paper. However, if we were to fold the piece of paper up into a tube shape so that the two points connected in the three-dimensional space, suddenly we've created something where if the 2D inhabitant went to that point, they would, to their mind at least, be instantaneously transposed to the other side of the universe. I'm Eliza, and I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all, and you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt, the ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words, my story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing. Furthermore, because these flatlanders have evolved in the 2D space, their minds are set in 2D relations. And so it is not simply that they cannot understand the 3D world, because they have yet to be exposed to it, but because it is not in their biology to do so. What kind of trouble could we get up to in a 2D world as a 3D person? Well, imagine there is a 2D criminal, sitting within a 2D jail. The jail is composed of four lines, connected together to form a square, with a dastardly 2D criminal sitting within the cell plotting his escape. Now he may try to break apart the lines, or he may have a visitor bring him a 2D cake with a vat of line dissolving acid, or trick the 2D caretaker into smuggling him out with the 2D laundry. But one thing he won't think to try, can't even comprehend the notion to try, is something that we could do for him. Imagine the 2D world as a rug on the floor, and we are a 3D person off to the side for now. If we were to step onto the 2D world, how would we appear? Well, first off, only a 2D slice of our bodies would be visible. In the case of the rug, potentially, it would be the outlines of our shoes. Even more terrifying for the 2D inhabitants of Flatland, our outline would appear to disappear and reappear randomly as we moved about the Flatland surface, with each step up causing us to disappear and each step down causing us to reappear. Even more perplexing for the inhabitants of Flatland, we could remove objects or persons from the Flatland by lifting them up, essentially removing them from their dimension and into our own, before placing them back down. This is how we could very easily remove the flat criminal from his jail, by not destroying the lines or moving them about, but by actually removing him from his dimension for a moment and reinserting him back into it outside of the jail. The same sort of argument is made with beings like angels or demons or ghosts. Potentially, they exist outside of our dimension, 
maybe in the dimension that we would consider to be time, or possibly in some other parallel universe that can be accessed through regions where the two meet. But I think it's important to alter our idea of a dimension and a parallel universe, something that is mucked up quite a bit in the paranormal literature and online community. A dimension is by definition something that exists like the 3D or 2D worlds, potentially having some effect on the physical manifestations in these other worlds, but still linked to them in some way by the ability to decompose a higher dimensional object into a lower dimension. That's a mouthful, but a simple explanation works here. A cube is a 3D object, but can be decomposed into a 2D representation by placing the 2D pieces that make up a cube onto a 2D plane. So in other words, you can unfold a cube into a two-dimensional cross by imposing the rule that defines 2D space, namely that all geometric figures must exist on the same plane. The same can work for a 4D object, which would be composed of some arrangement of cubes in the 3D world, folded down from the four-dimensional space. Parallel universes, on the other hand, are more fluid, much less clear in how they envelope or exist in regards to our universe, for example. I don't think there is any reason to believe that parallel universes actually exist, although they might. However, I would imagine that a parallel universe is just that, parallel and so will not or should not intersect with our own universe in any significant way. Regardless of whether or not this makes sense scientifically, does the idea of communication between these two dimensions hold any water? First off, it supposes that our minds have some ability to traverse through these dimensions. Maybe our minds are the sort of thing that exists as a stamp on our dimension, having some effect on the physical bodies we now inhabit but ultimately is a thing that is existing simultaneously in some higher or lower spiritual dimension of existence. In the example of Flatland, this would be like us existing in the Flatland as only the outline of our shoes, when in reality the vast majority of our physical body exists in the third dimension as slices of 2D space. In the same way, perhaps our consciousness exists in some higher dimension, bound to a physical body that is a mere imprint of ourselves in this world. So communication with our consciousness between beings in these other dimensions is, maybe, sort of, possible if we take all of that heaping pile of assumptions as true. But the issue still remains. Even if we could send information through the dimensions to reach other beings, would we be able to communicate with them? I think the discussion of Flatland hints at one of the biggest problems for this sort of communication. Language at its most basic seems to be the communication between two organisms. If we use this very loose definition, then any organism that sends out signals to others around it are technically communicating. For instance, bacteria secreting a signaling molecule when hit with sunlight are communicating with other bacteria, causing their biology to turn on certain genes and begin responding to the input of sunlight. But that isn't usually what we mean by language but rather just bulk communication. It is not hard to suggest that a skilled horse trainer is communicating with the animal that she trains, but it is not necessarily the case that a horse psychic is using language to communicate with his client's animals. Alright, then what exactly is language? This is an extremely ripe philosophical topic, 
one with a huge history and some extremely great work out there on. I cannot even begin to summarize the work that has been done on this topic, but I think it makes sense if we try to eke out some understanding here by trying to think about what it is we actually do when we communicate. First off, we need something to communicate about, although some philosophers believe that language may be an innate part of human experience. If we were a mind confined to a box, with no physical inputs of any kind, would we begin to dream? Would we have thoughts or feelings? Or would we simply exist without even knowing it? Some believe that we would eventually come up with some sort of internal language, one that would allow us to begin making thoughts or patterns in the world. However, others think we need input first. Okay, so let's say we need things to communicate about, so we're taking that second option as the one, at the very least, easiest to speak about. For us, these come in as physical inputs through our sensory apparatus. These sensations would then be translated into the brain, and if we were a mere animal, we would almost immediately act on them. Animals don't take the time to consider their actions, not really. Not really in the same sense as humans with abstract thought. Instead, animals seem to have thoughts that are much more quick. When a rabbit jumps into a bush at the sight of a human, it's not because the rabbit is thinking, Oh God, humans are bad. They, you know, humans have been killing my kind forever. I better run from this human so I don't get caught. The rabbit is merely thinking, Big object blotting out the sun. That means danger, so run. Even that, even that jump to, that means danger, is not probably happening for the rabbit. Instead, it's merely input A, so giant object comes into focus. Therefore, B, hide under bush. Since we are humans with consciousness, the sensations can be thought about. We can form opinions on them. We can begin to find ways to communicate our sensations in more abstract terms than that of the rabbit. And we can communicate with our minds about our surroundings and our thoughts that we have formed because of these surroundings. I would argue then that language in this way is intrinsically linked to the biology of the organism that is communicating through language. In other words, if we were a species that did not have the same sorts of sensory apparatus or different biological makeup of the brain or existed in another dimension, our language systems and the way that they relate to biology would be fundamentally changed. This would prohibit communication between us and other dimensional beings, simply because our biology is so different that the way in which we communicate through language would be unintelligible to other species. Besides the physical limitations of communicating with a being that does not have or never had a physical form, does it seem likely that they would have adapted to communicate in the same way as a thing with a physical being? Science seems to think that one way that we could communicate potentially with other intelligences would be through mathematics. They argue that even if aliens do not possess the same sort of biology as us, surely they would use the same sorts of mathematics. That is the hope, for instance, of SETI, who used binary code and other pictographical methods shot into the stars to try and communicate with aliens. But even this may be fraught with problems if aliens don't exist in our dimension, as some have claimed. Think back to Flatland for a second, 
would they necessarily have the same sort of mathematics as us? In Flatland, you would only really be able to understand 2D things. And so the basics of our mathematics may no longer make sense. Although numbers to count objects may be there, all of geometry and the rules of nature that we describe with mathematics appear to act intensely differently in Flatland. And so communicating, even through what we consider to be fundamental facts of our universe, may no longer make sense. Imagine how differently a person in the Flatland would recognize the falling of an apple in the three-dimensional plane. They would only see the apple as it hit the ground, making contact with the 2D world of the Flatland instantaneously. However, we can observe and ascribe the fall in a 2D way, but using an entirely different set of standards. Communication, therefore, is not possible without an extremely difficult translation process. And this is just for something as simply understood as an apple falling from a tree. So what is going on with some of these cases where people claim to have talked to aliens or Bigfoot? Albert Ostman, for instance, claimed to have been kidnapped and talked to by his Bigfoot captors, using words like suka suka or ook, and other sounds that you usually only hear in Nintendo games where they don't want to pay for voice actors. Others claim that Bigfoot communicates via tree knocking and howling. While tree knocking seems like a potentially interesting, although easy to fake, method of communication between Bigfoot and the wild, the idea of them communicating via language in any important way is, I think, ridiculous. No other animals use language in this way really, and that's primarily because their biology does not allow for communication in the same way that human biology does. I think the best and most hilarious use of this was on the Simpsons episode where Homer becomes a food critic. He's writing a review in the kitchen, and Santa's little helper is sitting there with him. And so Homer's writing on a typewriter and says, The food was... And he looks at the dog, and Santa's little helper barks back, Rough! Homer then looks at him and goes, You've been pitching that one all night! So the dog looks right back at him and says, Chewie! Other famous cases include talking to aliens or other interdimensional beings. One very interesting theory I have seen out there is that what telepathic communication truly consists of is the transmission of impressions or other sorts of stimulation, nonverbal but which can be put together in the telepath's mind to come to understand a certain meaning or message. This is often used by supposed telepaths or empaths to describe how they come to know about a haunting or the ideas of some multidimensional being. This still does not sidestep the issue of how can communication occur between beings that are different biologically, so that we do not have the same sensory apparatus systems. For instance, what sort of suggestion would be sent to us from a being that can see time at all simultaneous points? Or can you imagine a way where you could communicate the sense of touch or smell to a being without the ability to feel or smell things? It would be almost impossible. Will I ever know if my cat likes her tiny vest, despite how hilarious she looks frumpled into it? Probably not, and it may just be something that I will have to live with. It doesn't make sense for people to psychically communicate with animals, because it assumes that animals will even have the same mind states and communication methods that humans do. Even worse for things not of this world or dimension. And so I think an encounter with something truly paranormal will likely be much closer to the absolute fear of the 2D criminal in being plucked from his jail cell 
than a nice chat with an interdimensional being through some translation device. Thank you for tuning in to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell. For questions or concerns, please reach out on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Podbean. Look out for the next episode in about a month's time. Thanks again. host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.